0: Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations.
1: Come down, moving too fast.
0: Support for this podcast and the following messages come from our friends at the Paul Mueller Company and Hopsteiner. Please thank them. This podcast wouldn't be possible without their generous support.
1: Paul Mueller Company has been manufacturing quality brewing equipment since 1964. Our innovative design and engineering will save you time, labor, and ingredients, sending money back to your bottom line. Learn more about our new mobile hop module at paulmueller.com. This Master Brewers podcast is proudly sponsored by Hopsteiner, a global leader in the hop industry focused on quality, sustainability, and innovation in new hop varieties and hop products. Contact our brewery sales team to provide you with the hop-related tools you need to craft your next great beer. For more information, visit hopsteiner.com.
2: Put the two concepts together and see if we can make a sour style of beer uh, that has reduced gluten concentration and that may be uh, a commercially viable product.
0: This week on the show, can lactic acid bacteria used to make sour beers
2: make your products gluten-free? Hi, my name is Brett Taubman. I'm a professor in the Department of Chemistry and Fermentation Sciences at Appalachian State University. Well, Brett, let's start off with
0: some basics before we get into your study. What exactly is gluten?
2: So, gluten is a storage protein that's found in a number of cereal grains. Most people are familiar with it uh, in wheat grains, but it's also found in rye, uh, and it's found in barley, which is of particular concern to the brewing industry. Uh, and in barley, it's, it's uh, known as hordines. The hordine proteins uh, are the storage proteins that cause that uh, immune response in people with celiac disease.
0: Yeah, and your your paper states that these proteins are involved in a range of allergic reactions and autoimmune responses from wheat allergy to celiac disease. Why don't you talk about that range? What does it mean to be gluten sensitive versus celiac and what else is in that range?
2: <laughs> I think that's the million dollar question um, and that, that's certainly outside of my wheelhouse. Um, uh, you know, and I, I think uh, a lot of uh, medical professionals are trying to figure that out right now. Uh, what it means to have uh, a gluten allergy or a gluten sensitivity. I mean, I you know, I think um, having celiac is is a uh, pretty diagnosable condition, uh, a disease um, that is fairly straightforward nowadays to diagnose and determine if someone does have celiac. But that that spectrum of these immune responses to gluten or if it's something else found uh, in the same matrix with gluten, I think that's still being figured out by the medical community, although it does seem to be uh, a real issue with a number of people and a number of different products that are at least related with gluten these days.
0: From a regulatory perspective, talk about what it means to label products as gluten-free. (laughs)
2: <laughs> sure. And despite my, my one year of law school before I dropped out, um, that that is also another very sort of complex and confusing uh, area. So, um, the FDA has recommended uh, that that products can be labeled gluten-free. Um, and again, this is outside of my wheelhouse, and, and this would be more of a question for somebody who is a legal expert. Um but so a product can be labeled gluten-free if it is made without any grains containing gluten or any any products containing gluten to begin with, um, and if it also measures below twenty parts per million uh, gluten concentration. What's typically measured is is the prolamins, uh, which is a broader class of of these proteins. Um, but um, um, you know, if it's made without these uh, gluten-containing um, grains, and it's 20 parts per million or less, and can be labeled gluten-free. If it is made with gluten-containing grains, for example, a beer that's made with barley uh, that contains hordein or or gluten in there, um, and then it measures 20 parts per million or less um, after it's been packaged. Um, Then it can be labeled in in a fashion that says, um, you know, gluten reduced and this product has been uh, made with gluten containing grains and has then, you know, been subject to some processing that has reduced the gluten content uh, in this product. There's also another classification, if it's 100 parts per million or less, I don't know if that's a legal classification, uh, but that's also considered gluten-reduced. So anything that's 100 parts per million or less is considered to be somewhat low in gluten concentration, and then 20 parts per million or less um, is, is essentially considered gluten-free. However, that is kind of an issue when it comes to measurement techniques uh because it's been shown that a lot of the um assays that are used and, and the one in fact that is accepted uh by the fda um as the the uh, accepted measurement for gluten concentrations um has been shown to be not as accurate as it, it could necessarily be. And it's not because it's not necessarily accurate in identifying what it's supposed to identify but that people with celiac or with certain gluten sensitivities can actually um, have that immune response to even smaller units, single amino acids, um, you know, or two amino acids together um, can have a response to, uh, you know, those very, very small uh, peptides as a result.
0: There are lots of gluten-reduced beers available, most of which are produced with the Brewer's Clarex. What motivated you to examine the possibilities for reducing gluten with lactic acid bacteria?
2: uh you know i mean the short answer is why the heck not uh (laughs) but uh but but i think you know and 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 you're right using a a product like a brewer's Clarax to reduce those storage proteins after the fact i mean it's been shown to do a great job in in reducing those proteins even though that wasn't the original intent of that product right um that being said you know and 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 great beers are being made using that product. Um, We kind of um, looked at it from the viewpoint of, you know, sour styles of beer have become very popular in the last several years. Um, and, And we were aware of the fact that Uh, You know, and and most of uh, sour beers are soured using lactic acid bacteria. Uh, And we were aware that lactic acid bacteria are capable of reducing gluten concentration, of actually metabolizing those storage proteins. Um, So we and, and, you know, one of the big studies was looking at... um, lactic acid bacteria in sourdough bread production uh, and how some of those lactic acid bacteria species actually metabolize the gluten in that sourdough bread. Um, so we said, you know, why not take this popular style of beer and these lactic acid bacteria that are known to re- to, to be able to metabolize gluten? Put the two concepts together and see if we can make a sour style of beer uh, that has reduced gluten concentration and that may be uh, a commercially viable product.
0: We'll talk about how you set up the experiment and sort of the bacteria that you selected.
2: Sure. So we took, um, there were five bacteria that were identified in that sourdough study. Uh, We took four of those uh, because those were the four that were fairly straightforward to obtain. Um, So uh, four lactobacillus species, uh, Plantarum curvatus brevis. Uh, or I'm sorry, three of the three lactobacillus um, uh, species, and then uh, pediococcus pentosaceus. Um, so we took those four bacteria, which are are you know easy to obtain. We set up a study where we did um, you know one set of batches. Uh, well, we did one batch was which was just a control where, um, it, you know, we, we uh, brewed our wort, and then we added just a Saccharomyces cerevisiae strain. We called that the control. And then we did uh, uh, batches with the Saccharomyces uh, species along with the bacterial species, those four bacteria. Uh, and then we did um, that same wort, and we fermented those just with the individual bacteria. Coming up. Really, after about five weeks, uh, a couple of the bacteria had already dropped below detection limits uh, for the assay that we used. I'm John Bryce,
0: and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. And here's what's coming up on the Master Brewer's Calendar. The District Michigan Summer Social is July 7th at Fitzgerald Park in Grand Ledge. District Northern California meets at Admiral Maltings in Alameda July 19th. Don't miss the Brewery Safety Webinar July 25th. District St. Paul Minneapolis joins forces again with the Minnesota Craft Brewers Guild for the 5th Annual Business and Technical Conference July 27th in Duluth. The Annual District Texas Summer Meeting is the weekend of August 3rd in Kerrville. The ASBC MBAA Brewing Summit takes place in San Diego this August. Discounted early bird registration closes June 19th. Register at mbaa.com where you can also view the full count of events with more details or find a district meeting near you. Now back to the show. Walk us through the control beer and sort of its gluten levels throughout the process.
2: Sure. Um, So we started for all the beers uh, for the wort, you know, started at over 500 parts per million gluten. Um, So it had, you know, we wanted to make sure that the initial batch started with essentially as much gluten as we could pack in there. Um, And that was based on on, um, you know, our malt bill that we used. Um, So then, like I said, we took we took that batch, divided it up uh, into nine different fermentations, the control, uh, the, uh, yeast with those four species doing a co-fermentation and then the individual four species. Um, and we looked at the gluten reduction, uh, over time and we measured that on a weekly basis for seven weeks. Um, So that initial drop was about the same for all of them. So we went from over 500 parts per million gluten to a little over 100 parts per million gluten uh, in pretty much all of those batches. Some were a bit higher than that after the first week, but after the first week, we saw a fairly... A large drop in, in gluten concentration, which is not surprising, and we assume that's due to the cold break, uh, which is just those smaller molecular weight proteins that will fall out of solution during fermentation or post primary fermentation um, as that sediment on the bottom of, of the fermenter. And this is, you know, the smaller molecular weight proteins and peptides relative to the higher molecular weight proteins and peptides that fall out. Out during the boil or that should fall out during the boil, um, uh, which is referred to as, as the hot break or trube. Um, so hopefully, uh, most of the higher molecular weight stuff is removed during that hot break um, after the boil. And then prior to being put into the fermenter. And then you have additional material, the smaller material that was too small to uh sediment out during uh that hot break. So that typically falls out, you know, in the first several days of fermentation or or like I say, post-primary fermentation after you uh that the vigor of the boil sort of or, or the vigor of the ferment sort of settles down. Um so we saw that sort of steep reduction to begin with, and then For the batches that were done with the yeast, with the uh, control yeast, the Saccharomyces cerevisiae, we saw in most of the batches a, a fairly small reduction, but none of them really got below about 100 parts per million, even after seven weeks of fermentation. Um, whereas with the, uh, bacterial batches, just the, the, uh, bacteria itself, we saw uh, a fairly steady reduction over that seven week period. Um, and really after about five weeks, uh, a couple of the bacteria had already dropped below detection limits, uh, for the assay that we used. And then the other two bacteria, um, after uh, another week, had dropped below detection limits, whereas the control remained uh, up around 100 parts per million or a little bit more than that. So there didn't seem to be any metabolic reduction of the gluten in the batches that contained uh, the yeast in there. Why do you think that was? Well, I think you know Saccharomyces cerevisiae will generally outcompete lactic acid bacteria Um, so that'll kick off first they'll use up a lot of the nutrients that are in there Uh, so the the lactic acid bacteria aren't able to really take hold in there uh, and and ferment anything Um, when we remove the yeast from that situation the bacteria had access to those nutrients and were able to ferment that material themselves Um, you you know and you see that in any fermentation right I mean the key in brewing is sanitation not sterile. Sterilization. You're never going to get a completely sterile batch. There's always going to be some bacteria uh, present. The idea is to outcompete that bacteria with the yeast that you're trying to ferment with, to outcompete that and to use up any of the nutrients that, that would otherwise be available to those bacteria. So Short of a, a metabolic study, we did seem to see a reduction in gluten by those lactic acid bacteria, whereas all of those batches with the yeast, it, they seemed only the gluten only seemed to be reduced due to sedimentation of uh, the the uh, hoarding proteins uh, during fermentation.
0: And so, in and what was how low did those get? They never. They also never really got much below a hundred or.
2: No, they all they all stayed right around hundred or, or slightly below. Um, so they couldn't be labeled as um, uh, you know gluten reduced. Uh, they they never got close to that twenty part per million limit. Right.
0: And and is your your thinking is that even with ex- extended aging, there's still pretty much no chance they're going to get there.
2: I mean, it's possible, right? Because, you know, with sour fermentations, and that that was one of the things that we considered uh, in this experiment, too, is, you know, what's the commercial viability of a product like this, not only from a flavor standpoint, but from a time standpoint? And, you know, a seven-week fermentation is is not exactly viable uh, for a standard brewery making standard sorts of ales, for example. But, you know, people with sour programs, seven weeks is a fairly short time period for putting out a sour beer. Um, So with a longer fermentation or aging time, it is possible that even those batches that had the yeast in there could see a similar reduction if those lactic acid bacteria with limited nutrients... Uh, remaining could still see somewhat of a fermentation and could uh, potentially reduce that gluten to the limits or to the levels that we saw in the bacteria-only batches.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I wouldn't be surprised if this paper prompted some folks to test their mixed culture beers for gluten. Have you heard from anyone that was producing gluten-reduced beer but didn't just didn't realize it?
2: Uh, no, but I mean, that's something that we've, um, been looking at for quite some time and, you know, even standard beers generally, I mean, depending on the production process, (laughs) probably, probably not your standard hazy IPA, for example, or a Hefeweizen, something like that. Um, but most standard beers that you see out there have fairly low gluten concentrations just from, uh, the process parameters that are used. Um, tend to lower those gluten concentrations. And, you know, this is a thought that I've had for quite some time, knowing that lactic acid bacteria are capable of uh, metabolizing gluten, is one of the beer styles that I've been looking at uh, is sour beers. So we have tested a number of sour beers over the years and have found that a number of them have uh, gluten concentrations that are below detection limits.
0: This study also evaluated other process variables during mashing, such as pH, temperature, uh, liquor to grist ratios. Do you want to talk about those results as well?
2: Sure. Um, you know, we because like I was saying, uh, you know, a lot of the standard process parameters tend to reduce gluten concentrations because you know most brewers are trying to reduce protein concentrations to a level that won't lead to microbial instability um uh, you know haze issues things like that you want to leave behind foam positive proteins but other than those foam positive proteins and some proteins that that add to the body of a beer um you know you want to try and remove most of the protein content from your beers uh, so we looked at a lot of the standard process parameters and you know a lot of them were fairly straightforward um, Like the boiling time, for example, you know, we essentially saw a downward trend in gluten concentrations um, uh, with boil time. So, you know, starting at zero boiling where you saw high gluten concentrations uh, up to 120 minutes of boiling, we saw a fairly steady reduction in gluten concentrations in that final product. Uh, The finding agent uh, addition was was pretty interesting. You know, and this is something that I tell my students all the time don't just take the recommended dose of the fining agent as, you know, sort of the law. Uh, you know, do a test to see for every style of beer that you make or every, you know, different beer that you make, do a simple test to determine what the correct amount of fining agent, um, uh, you know, kettle fining agent is that you should be using for that beer. Uh, And we actually found that the recommended dosage uh, for the fining agent uh, reduced the gluten uh, by far the most relative to uh, we did Uh, No fining agent. We did half the recommended dosage, the recommended dosage and twice the recommended dosage and found that, you know, the the recommended dosage, we could have done finer uh, sort of amounts than that, which may have shown uh, a difference. But the recommended dosage of fining agent by far reduced the gluten concentration the most Uh, liquid. Yeah, liquor to grist ratio uh, was was also interesting, and again, kind of that standard, uh, you know, one point two five quarts of water per pound of grain uh, if you're American, or you know, two point six liters of water per kilogram of grain uh, if you're European uh, and use the the more logical metric system. <laughs> uh, we we found that you know that sort of or stand- if you're
0: American and use the more logical
2: or if you're an American scientist, I guess. Uh, but, you know, I kind of straddle that fence as, as an American, you know, beer chemist, uh, because, you know, I want to use the metric system as a scientist, but a lot of American brewers, you know, tend to use, uh, our, 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 uh, American system. But anyway, we, we found that, that, um. The sort of standard liquor to grist ratio did seem to uh, reduce the um, the gluten concentration the most. However, at at higher uh, liquor to grist ratios, so more water water per uh, pound of grain or per mass of grain, uh, we we didn't see that much of a difference in gluten concentrations. Um, mash pH and temperature was a little bit, um, more difficult to explain. Uh, we saw a, uh, reduction in the gluten concentrations at sort of lower than standard pHs where typically you want your mash pH around 5.2, uh, at mash temperatures. Uh, so it'd be even a little bit higher at room temperature than that. Um, But around 4.5 to 4.75 is where we saw the lowest gluten concentrations. And that may be, you know, a more optimal range for the peptidases and proteases, um, you know, to activate those to reduce that gluten concentration. Or you may see a reduction in those because then you're actually leaving larger molecular weight compounds that will actually be removed during the hot break or the cold break. So that one's a little more difficult to explain without further studies. Uh, And the temperature, mash temperature, you know, we didn't see a huge difference except at Um, the higher end of the scale where, um, you know, at higher temperatures, uh, we saw an increase in the gluten concentration. Uh, But we we did see the lowest gluten concentration at your sort of standard mash temperature of 65 degrees Celsius, which translates to 149 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, So mash pH and temperature were were certainly more difficult to uh, explain. Um, I, I wouldn't recommend based on this study and my experience in general in sort of changing mash pH and temperature um, and the other parameters it seemed to, to indicate that you know sort of sticking with those standard parameters tends to reduce the gluten concentrations the most so like we were seeing in the beers that we measured you know if you're standard or if you're following sort of standard processing uh, parameters uh, that seems to reduce those gluten concentrations to uh a decent amount at least
0: very interesting this is outside the scope of your work but do we know how much influence beginning barley protein and s over t have on gluten levels in the final beer
2: uh yeah i mean you know essentially it it you know and and these storage proteins it it starts with um it, you know the barley species the variety you know the the climatic conditions for that particular year, uh, as well as especially fertilizer application. So, time and amount of fertilizer, um, you know, the amount of fertilizer that's applied and when it's applied during the growing season. Um, And I'm I'm certainly not an agricultural expert um, and I don't think a lot of fertilizer is necessarily applied to barley throughout the growing season, but that translates directly to especially hoarding concentrations, those storage proteins. So the more fertilizer that's applied and the later it's applied in the growing season, the more will be translated to storage proteins in those grains. So yeah, absolutely. If you have higher protein content in your beer and it can be solubilized, then you will certainly see those gluten concentrations increase in your beer. So if you're, you know, using a lot of six row uh, barley, for example, you're going to have uh, more gluten concentration, higher gluten concentration in your finished product, most likely.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. We just did an episode not that long ago with uh, Joe Hartrick uh, explaining how um, how North American two-row has essentially uh, taken on six-row characteristics over time, whereas European uh, barley two-row has not, and, and we and talked about the difference in fertilization practices and protein content. So I just uh, I think that's a very interesting tie into gluten because I wonder if that is not you know does is not a major factor in um, the higher gluten levels that we maybe experience here versus in Europe.
2: It, it, it's certainly possible. Uh, and we've noticed the same thing um, in some of the limited studies we've done with uh, barley in this country, and, and specifically barley in North Carolina, where we are, um where a lot of heritage varieties are being being brought back, right um, and they are, a lot of them are two row varieties. Um, you know, and normally it goes as um, the drier the climate the lower the uh, or the drier the climate, the higher the protein content will be in that barley. So the wetter the climate, the lower the protein content will be. So you would assume, okay, barley grown in North Carolina, which is pretty darn wet, especially relative to, say, Montana, um, you know, the protein content should be significantly lower. However, we see exactly the opposite. Um, and, and what we think is going on is that while it is a much wetter climate in North Carolina, you know, and this has to do with the solubility of nitrogen in the soil and so forth. So, you know, you assume in a drier climate that nitrogen is going to sit there in the soil because it's not going to, you know, just pass through the, the soil uh, as it continues to rain and is diluted and, and gets into the water system, for example. Um, but in North Carolina, there's so much organic material in the soil um, that we see really high protein concentrations even in two-row barley in North Carolina.
0: Going back to your study, did you want to talk about the sensory work that you did?
2: I mean, I think the, the flavor profile, and, and this is something that um, you know we'd want to look at further um, you know, and, and really, we were focusing on gluten reduction. We weren't necessarily focusing on making a, you know, delicious tasting beer. Um, that being said, however, the uh, sensory results from uh, the beers w- with the bacteria only batches um, were not super favorable. Right. Um, so it, it would certainly take further work to make beers that are palatable. Um, in this style that also have uh, a reduced gluten content. But, uh, but beyond that, you know, they, they certainly did have less gluten than, than the beers that were produced with the, the yeast only or the yeast and bacteria. <laughs>
0: That was Brett Talbman here on the Master Brewers podcast. If you'd like to learn more about this project and study the data, you can find Brett's recent publication by typing gluten into the industry's best search bar at mbaa.com. I'm really looking forward to the ASBC MBAA Brewing Summit coming up this August in San Diego. It only happens every four years, and it's not like any other conference you've attended. The Brewing Summit is 100% the science and technology of brewing. No pep rallies or business lectures, and you'll be surrounded by some of the smartest men and women in our industry. If you can only attend one conference in 2018, this should be it. Register now at mbaa.com. There's one thing that I should have told you Or maybe two things that you should have known, Do so I